Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I recall the time they found those fossilized mosquitoes. And before long, they were cloning DNA. Matt, we are here. We have finally made it. First of all, we're over 100 episodes, which is incredible. That is actually crazy, yeah. And we're talking about an album. Could it be the most controversial Weird Al album? At least so far. Well, I mean, I I would say it's the most divisive that we've talked about since Polka Party. Yes. Which is another one that is not... I mean, generally speaking, I feel like when I look this stuff up, so much of Al's work is so beloved that when you find that like lukewarm sentiment, or maybe UHF, although no one really even talked about the UHF album as a thing at all. But yeah, no, in terms of uh, just overall fan appreciation, this is definitely, you can tell that there's a lukewarm feeling about this record, even in forums, people talking about it from like, it was interesting going back to the Weird Al forums, which kind of started seemingly in earnest in the early 2000s, like 2002, people talking about this record. A good, you know, we're talking many years after the fact. And yeah, the the general consensus is like, okay. Yeah. So so the little bit that I got here was that Alapalooza is the eighth studio album of Weird Al Yankovic, released in 1993. By the time Off the Deep End was released, Al had already written all of the original songs that he had planned for this release. Uh, The title is obviously a reference to the music festival Lollapalooza. Lollapalooza was met with average to negative reception upon its release, with some critics commenting that the album seemed harried and out of touch with contemporary music. Rolling Stone gave Lollapalooza 2.5 out of 5 stars, putting it somewhere between mediocre and good, and Barry Weber of all music criticized the album for failing to engage with contemporary music trends and that it sounds sloppy and mostly like a compilation of old B-sides. So I'm excited to reevaluate this album a little bit, but that's kind of been my general consensus of this album as a fan. And this was the first Al CD I owned. My cousin gave me his CD when I started to become Mm. a Weird Al fan. And mm. I and I liked it because it was a CD and I was ten. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, of course, like, of course. What's not to like? That goes a long way. What's but as a- I dove into more and more of Al's music, this was definitely the record I I went back to the least. And I think yeah. that's a big reason. Is like, you know, the probably the only like truly modern parody on it is like Living in a Fridge and Bedrock Anthem. I agree that a lot of it sounds like B-sides. Like, I don't think that, that, well, this has Frank's 2,000-inch TV, which is like a heavy, heavy hitter, but I think a lot of the other Which was the B-side to this single, That's interestingly enough, when they did the single for this track, which was, this is when I went CD single territory, right? But uh, but the the B-side to this single was Frank's 2,000-inch TV, which we will get to. We'll get to very uh, soon. Yeah, that is a heavy hitter of an Al original. But no, I mean, it's, so- we talked early on in Al's early years, he was really cranking records out. Like every two years-ish, he was putting out a new album. This is, Off the Deep End came out in 1992. This is 93. This came out in 1993. And as we just read, he had written all the originals. So this tracks with what we were establishing in Off the Deep End, right? He wrote that album post-UHF over the span of years. Waited and for he was the waiting. Thing. Yeah. Exactly. He waited for Smells Like Nirvana. He got it, and as a result, that album did extremely well. But we even talked about on Off the Deep End how odd 
Smells Like Nirvana sounds next to the plumbing song and next to uh, Taco Grande and, the and these other and, yeah. parodies that feel so not appropriate. And that's, so I think that, yeah, that the fact that he rushed here. here to get this, yeah, yeah the fact that he moved so fa- fast to get this, like, of course, he was sitting on material. Off the Deep End did well for him. So it was like, okay, well, now we can keep going and, and hustle through this. But it seems like he didn't, do the same. He opted to move fast instead of doing what he did on Off the Deep End, which was wait. Yeah. Which for the song. Which not to play our hand early, but the album after this, obviously, when we get to Bad Hair Day, which is I think unanimously ranked in like one of as one of the five like best albums he's ever done. I think a big part of that is when you do look at those original tracks and when you do look at the songs that were parodied, it does feel way more contemporary than he the waited. choices. He, yeah. he waited. I mean, also, I don't, I haven't done this research yet, but I'm going to assume that the wait for Amish Paradise was also a, I need to find the right yeah. song. I'm not going to make this. So uh, on this record, again, he fell into a trap. He had done this before. It's, it, it's interesting. And he'll to see never this, do this, this is again. Like, he will never do an album the year after the previous album no, ever again. No, he'll never. This, th- this is the quickest gap between records. Now, from now on, he will wait and he will take his time. I was going to say it's interesting because he will revisit the entire concept of this song is essentially redone in The Saga Begins Yeah. for uh, Running well, the let's Scissors. Well, let's dive into that right now, actually. So we're, yeah, we're obviously sure, sure, here. Sure. We're talking about the song Jurassic Park. The story that I heard and saw in a couple different sources was that basically Al was listening to Lola by the Kinks and he was thinking about how much he enjoyed taking something, taking a contemporary film and a classic song for Yoda. And then he had the idea of, oh, I could do that with Jurassic Park. So we get this song, Jurassic Park, based on the film. He had to get permission from the original songwriter, Jimmy Webb. Uh, the Jurassic Park author, Michael Crichton, and the director, Steven Spielberg, in order to make this track. And it says a lot, just to interrupt really quickly, it says a lot how much Al's clout has gone up, right? Yeah. Like, that is, like, legally, that's a that's a mountain. That's a, to, to get permission from all three of those entities, big entities. I mean, Jimmy Webb is probably the most, the easiest get, but to get permission from the author of Jurassic Park and Spielberg who had just, you know, made all this imagery that he owned around. I mean, that's a, like, it says a lot about Al's uh, clout at this moment in time, which is great. I love to see it. You know, like we, we're, we've talked about it a little bit over the, the, the time, but it's just wonderful to see as we've gone through this show, like Al struggling to get permission for <laughs> Jack and Diane. Yeah. Well, I, all the way up until this point where he is like, you know, everyone's saying yes I, to Al. And I want to read this part here and this is a compilation of different notes that i pulled apart so there's going to be a little bit of repetitiveness in this but i want to make sure i get Mm -hmm. all of this in sure yeah so jurassic park was met with mixed to positive reviews many of the reviewers enjoyed yankovic's humor while others felt that the song did not satirize the source material but instead merely recounted the plot of the movie jimmy webb himself however was very pleased with the final result and was known to sing the parody lyrics in concert he later penned a letter to Al Yankovic that read, well, this parody ought to bury that song once and for all. <laughs> According to Yankovic, several times during different concerts in New York and L.A. that Yankovic was in attendance for, Webb would start to perform the original, pretend that he had forgotten the words, and then invite Yankovic on stage to sing Jurassic Park instead. For Christmas, I mean, that's the best. For a Christmas Sorry, present one year... Webb even sent Yankovic a rubber dinosaur mask as a joke. Yankovic has later been noted of saying Webb was the absolute coolest. Oh man. See, I love that. That's that. It's so great. I mean, I have to, so yeah, you, you just covered it. We're going to wind up talking about saga begins a little bit here. And I don't want to, obviously we're going to get to that when we get to it, but that one, everyone knows American pie, right? Yeah. Everyone knows that song and everyone at least knows the chorus and has some affection. I don't know. It's a very popular song, despite being older. This is a divisive song <laughs> to do. This is like, a weird I, I, I have call. to, I have to give it up. It is a weird choice, but it is 
I'm going to say brave. Yes. This is this was a brave thing for Al to do because this is like aggressively has limited commercial appeal. Well, that was I was going to say that's the other big thing is like when we're talking about the music video um yeah. You know, the music video didn't get a lot of play on MTV. It was popular on places like The Box and VH1 and in Canada. And uh, Yankovic actually said that MTV only played it a few times because it really didn't fit the sound of what was on MTV. Of like, course it didn't. Like going for of something, course it didn't. Going for something this weird, I think, also kind of bit him in the ass a little bit because it made it really hard to... Especially as the lead single, I mean, no... We're talking about at this point in time, we've seen this ongoing theme. Uh, I would say since starting at Polka Party, really, that Scotty Brothers was only really interested in funding a single video for Al. Right. And then every once in a while, Al would scrape together a little bit of money to do something cheap, right? So, like, Polka Party was all about living with a hernia, and he did Christmas at Ground Zero himself. With um, even worse, they only did a video for Fat. For UHF, uh, they did the UHF music video, and that was really it. Like, the Beverly Hillbillies Money for Nothing was just ripped straight out of the movie as a video. Um, right, right, right. And right, Smells right. Like Nirvana was pretty much the only single off of off the deep end, and Al basically begged to do You Don't Love Me Anymore and shot the video on the cheap. I have yeah. a feeling Scotty Brothers was like, Al, you have to do a video for Bedrock Anthem. We we need something that is marketable to push this album. This may have been the first time in almost a decade that Scotty Brothers quickly opened up their wallet for the production Perhaps of another so. video. I mean, obviously they were... Re- so I actually just looked because I hadn't checked this before. This was a really quick turnaround. Like uh, The movie came out in July of 1993, and Al releases this single in October. Like it says here that he recorded it in July. Like the movie must have just come out. I mean, I I remember this is great for the show too cuz we're finally getting to the point where we were actually where I actually have memories of yeah. things. <laughs> I remember Jurassic Park coming out and I remember I was young. I also was not allowed. It was one of those things that I had so many friends. This is going to come back on this show for sure. <laughs> So many friends who went to go see Jurassic Park in the theater, and I was not allowed. My parents did oh, not want me my, seeing this movie. My dad took me to see Jurassic Park in the theaters. A lot of parents did, because it was like a cultural moment, and people were just like, I, all of these friends of mine who were going to see it, and I just was told. It was. It might be the first example I can think of of a movie where I like being told, like, oh, you're too young for this. I was like, how? Everyone I know is yeah. seeing it but me, and they're the same age <laughs> as me. It's, it's definitely one of those movies <laughs> where I think the fear i was more afraid to watch jurassic park than the actual watching of jurassic park like that was yeah, like a really fair. early th- i mean don't get me wrong the first 5 minutes of that movie as someone who was 8 years old in a theater i was starting to think maybe i'd made a mistake i've been like oh no it, i cuz that's an intense it, opening to that movie it, for- i mean there's a lot of intense moments <laughs> in jurassic park and it's also a great movie because there's kids in it yes so it's a it's a great kids thriller because so much of it is from a child's perspective very much so yeah so it's like you're you're seeing this movie like uh, in a much more intense way it reminds me of the shining yeah uh, which is a way scarier movie. But The Shining, a part of what makes it scary, especially if you saw it as a kid, which I did, is that so much of the movie is the terror from a child's perspective, like literally looking up from his bicycle, yeah. his tricycle thing, at the world of his parents trying to kill each other. Like, it's a nightmare. But anyway, Jurassic Park has a lot of that, too, where it is just these kids <laughs> being attacked by dinosaurs and just generally terrorized. Was, so as a kid, you're like, oh my God. But it was at this weird time, because we are of that generation where like, we were shamelessly being marketed things that weren't for us. Because um, right. I think of that when I think of the Jurassic Park toys, and there were these awesome Jurassic Park toys where you could like press a button and a bite mark would appear in the side of the dinosaur with like rib cage and muscle exposed, which was insane. But I, mm. when I think of those toys, I immediately also think of the fact that like <laughs> when I was eight, I was being sold aliens as action figures when I was in no way old enough 
to watch Alien or That's Aliens. That's true. You're right. It, it was a very <laughs> specific thing of that time. And and I think Jurassic, yeah, Jurassic Park must fall into that. Like, I'm not, I don't actually begrudge my parents at all for not having me watch. Like, it, it was not a kid's movie. No. They managed to market it to kids reasonably well. And again, for context, like, I'm talking about a kid's movie. I, I am, what, eight years old when this comes out? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not old. Like, <laughs> It's PG-13. Eight years old is like, it's borderline. The, you saw it, like loads of people our age saw yeah. it. I'm not like, but it was definitely not, it was, it was, it, it was intense well, for a little kid to see. It really. It was interesting. It was so normalized. It says a lot about the power and, and the more that you learn about like just the history of Hollywood and stuff, the power that Steven Spielberg had mm. at that point. Um yeah. You know, the PG-13 rating was basically made because Steven Spielberg asked it to be made. Because <laughs> he, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was making movies that were basically our films, mm-hmm. but he was Steven Spielberg, and he was like, no, I want everybody to be able to see this movie. So the ratings board would just give him a PG on these films like Gremlins, like Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, that are like pretty terrifying movies for kids to watch and after there was enough complaints oh, yeah. he was just like hey there should be a rating for like teenagers because i'm making movies for teenagers and that that let's do like a like i don't know like a pg-13 or something <laughs> you know, like, right like it was like he just had that power to just be like no i want i want my movies to be seen by the most amount of people possible and i'm steven spielberg you only give me r ratings when i want you to give me an r rating <laughs> <laughs> it's wild to think, like again, to go back, like Jaws, yeah, PG is movie. rated PG. Yeah, it's PG because PG thirteen did not exist. Yeah, and nothing so intense happens in it to make it R. But now in twenty twenty four, the odds of a parent showing an eight year old child Jaws, I I don't know, I I don't well, think so. It's, it's actually I, funny. So just because you and I are big horror fans, um, it's worth mentioning that Texas Chainsaw Massacre. When they made Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Toby Hooper thought he was making a PG movie. And yeah. and his and if you watch that movie, there's no nudity in it. There's no blood at all. Nope. And that was his that was his argument was like there's more gore in jaws. There's oh, oh my god. I mean, there's there is actual sort of a severed there's leg. Blood in, there's a severed yeah. leg that falls to the bottom of the floor and that was the point that 8-year-old Matt Kelly shut off the movie. And ran away screaming and didn't watch it again for like another year because he was so traumatized by that. And you're right. I mean, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a less bloody movie, but it's than Jaws. way more. I mean, that that's more of a compliment on how physically upsetting and intense Texas Chainsaw Massacre as a film yeah, is. Yeah, no, it, is. it it received an R just because of how th- the concept alone was so horrifying. <laughs> like, it's. It's my favorite horror movie. I think it is the well, not Texas my favorite Chainsaw? horror movie, but I think it is the best horror movie. I, if you were it's to a strong ask, contender, if you ask me what yeah. the greatest horror movie of all time was, I would say that one because it always. I've seen that movie a hundred times, and it still never fails to make me feel a little uncomfortable when I watch it. It's, <laughs> it's brutal. Like, and I to go back to the rating thing. It's funny. Like Jaws is also a really really scary movie yeah. like i mean you talked about the severed leg like i will never forget being a kid and seeing the opening scene of jaws yeah with the girl being pulled out like that is one of the most frightening scenes I... of her alone in the water like like to get the the pull down like a couple times before she finally realizes what's happening to her like it is so so scary it's scary and then like it's been i've been watching that movie probably two three times a year for the last yeah three decades and i still <laughs> jump when the head falls out of the ship yep. and yep. when the shark bursts through the sinking ship at Chief Brody. Like, they're yeah. just... they're No, it's scary. And it's crazy. Like, that shark looks so fake and it is yet so terrifying <laughs> to me to look at. Like, it makes me... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, I mean... And again, to bring it back to Jurassic Park, by comparison, it's it's very... It's a testament. The dinosaurs in Jurassic Park still look pretty, pretty And this good. was that perfect point where you were using CGI to enhance a practical thing that was on set. That's right. Um, yeah. So you're still like, they're, they're reacting to these giant heads and the, mm-hmm. the, the press for Jurassic park. Like there's really no reason why an eight year old me should have even known that this was a movie <laughs> coming out, but yeah. it was on 
everything. Like oh, they knew. The, they they knew. They were pushing this really. The really marketing hard. behind like, this, this movie it. was incredible. The the logo, yeah. like it's just a T Rex skeleton, and it is the coolest logo. That like I feel something when I see it. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And so now, I mean, to bring it back to our first, because this is, I said going into this that it felt like Al didn't wait for the song the way that he did on Off the but I think he waited for that cultural moment. Yeah. Exactly that. He opted for, this is a cultural moment I want to grab onto. It was so huge. He knew it. Again, like, this is wild. Like, the movie came out in, I'm sorry, um, June 11th, 1993, came out in wide release. According to Al's credit, he recorded this song July 16th. Yeah. (laughs) So, less a month. Yeah. He recorded it. The album comes out in October of the same Which, year. So he must have had, as we established, he had written basically all the originals were done. He was ready to go. And then this happens. And he was like, you know what? I want to do something with Jurassic Park because that's a cultural moment I can hang on to. Instead of a song that's in the moment right now, I'm going to, it's all about the film in pop culture. Yeah. And I'm going to find an old song as the vehicle. Um, it, it's a bold choice. It's the first time he's done something like that. So when he did Saga Begins, he was very open that he basically just looked at a bunch of internet rumors, wrote the basic structure of the song, and then Lucasfilm allowed him a special screening so he could like make the proper adjustments. Yeah. I have a feeling, I and I've said this on the uh, when we were on the Jurassic Jurassic Park cast. Yeah. but when we were on that <laughs> when, when we were on that show talking about this song, I said I have a theory. I think that he saw the crazy marketing, knew that this movie was going to be huge, and I bet he read the Michael Crichton book, mm-hmm. wrote the basic outline of this song. <laughs> mm-hmm. Saw the movie as soon as it came out, made whatever quick changes and tweaks to the lyrics that he needed and then got the band practicing this as quickly as possible so that in a month they could be recording it. When was the video released? Because this is, a, I've done claymation before. It is a lot of work. <laughs> From what I could see here, it looks like they really, really hustled this video. Yeah. The, um, the, yeah. It, here it is. It's so sorry. I have it in my notes. Al joked that he did an animated video because it was too hard to find real life dinosaurs these days for it. Uh, the video was directed by Mark Osborne and Scott Nordl- Nordland. Nordland. Um, Yankovic Nordland. initially heard of the duo from Bill Manspeaker, the lead singer of the comedy group Green Jelly, or Green Jello. Um, after being hired for the project, the two basically turned their private residence in Los Angeles into a claymation studio. The two worked from July and worked throughout July and August 1993 and slept in shifts just so that the project would be ready for its October release. So like, yeah, I'll probably record it this song and set them the track probably before it was even done being mastered or mixed at that point. Probably. Just, they probably just had a scratch version as like the form of the song. Yeah. You know, they could work around. Yeah. Yankovic remained hands off throughout its creation, allowing the two creative freedom of the video. Um, and I actually thought this before I saw this note. One critic noted that the music video seems to have been done in the style of Will Vinton's Dinosaur, a fun-filled trip back in time. Have you ever seen this VHS tape? I, I have seen the tape, and I've, I'm confident I've seen... This is one of those like distant memories for me where I know I've seen portions of this, but I don't remember... I mean, I'm looking... It literally is 15 minutes long. It's like a claymation dinosaur short. It's not just, oh, these dinosaurs look like it's in the Will Vinton style. It's like the way that the faces are done is in the Will Vinton style. The way that animation is handled is in that Will Vinton style. Like it it feels very uh, intentionally homage I'm just realizing r- really quick, there's two different versions of this. There's one called Dinosaur and one called Dinosaurs. Okay. With an exclamation point. I, uh, one of them is... 30 minutes long and came out a little bit later, 87 and stars Fred Savage. Is that the one you have? That's the one I have. They're basically the same thing. I think so. It's, yeah. It just looks like a slightly longer version of the same thing. They, they packaged the short wow. film to feature that, but I'm pretty sure that's exactly what I saw. Cause I remember Fred Savage being part of it. Now. Yeah. There's Fred uh, Savage. But, he hasn't wow. done his homework. He's getting all stressed out. <laughs> 
And then you can see these awesome cartoon oh, yeah. dinosaurs. Oh, this, yeah, the imagery for sure is. And then jump ahead. Right now we're just getting these like static shots of some like displays of dinosaurs. But like this is what I was thinking of. Like the way that this chalkboard reacts is almost exactly yeah. like when he has the chaos theory on the board and it's like oh, swirling yeah, absolutely. into this crazy animation. And then finally we get to the claymation yeah. dinosaurs up in here. And like There we go, yeah. No, it's definitely it's it's very uh very similar style. It had to at least have been an inspiration in the world of stop motion <laughs> claymation dinosaurs yeah. at the time. There's, yeah, there's yeah, no yeah, way it sure. wasn't intentionally. Wow. That's amazing. I can't believe you had that, Matt. It's like, <laughs> that, that's very impressive. Uh, wow. If I was better at my job, I would have had that already queued up. But um, <laughs> something that is worth mentioning, because we always do talk about this, is uh-huh. uh, this is another one of the cases where Al's version is dramatically shorter. Um, Jurassic Park is a three minute and 53 second long song compared to the seven minute and 21 version by Richard Harris that this is a parody by Richard of. Harris. So you know what's funny? I actually thought, so Richard Harris does the most famous version of MacArthur Park yeah. that, that people would know. But Donna Summer also had a Has hit a with it. Has a huge hit with it, yeah. Huge hit with it, like a disco version. And... Al kind of is doing both versions here a little bit. The start of Al's song, he starts his the same way Donna Summer starts hers with that orchestra like bum, 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 bum. That's not how Richard Harris starts his. His is this big orchestral intro to it. Yeah. He starts it the same way as the Donna Summer one does, but it's faster. Richard Harris's version is faster. I feel like I've never heard him do this before. It's almost like a mashup of the two. Yeah. It's definitely much closer to Richard Harris's arrangement, except for the fact that he cuts an enormous chunk of the middle. Yeah. Oh, he rips out. It's just gone. He rips out a whole chunk out of the center. Um, So something that I thought, and this might be the biggest missed opportunity in Al's entire parody career. All right. So Mm. the song ends. He goes... And it just fades out. If I could go back in time to 1993 and meet with Al, I'd be like, (laughs) you have to incorporate the Jurassic Park theme in that very closing part. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it would fit. So smoothly. It, it would fit very well, but then he would need John Williams' permission too. Add a fourth person to the list or, of, of or, uh, favors he has to call in. Or here we go, controversial take, or the permission of whatever composer's uh, old work from like 100 years ago John Williams is riffed off of. Yeah, I'll say it. <laughs> oh, shots fired, John Williams. <laughs> I love John Williams, but man, you check out some random classical like instrumental music from the 1800s and you'll hear a lot of Star Wars melodies a part of a part of what makes John Williams so brilliant is he had really good references he was able to pull for. like he is just yeah. a very well-trained dude he he knew uh he, he's he's he, you know what John Williams he's doing style parody yeah that's all it is it's I, I'm just I'm gonna change it just enough <laughs> that it's not yours it's mine now I'm keeping it now. That's what John Williams does. I also have to give credit. So in the MacArthur Park, it's an actual orchestra doing everything. This is all synth strings uh, from keyboardist Brad Buxy Buxer, but Buxer. But it sounds great. Like it sounds great. <laughs> I, I have a quick thing. Do you know Brad Buxer is a somewhat notable name? Brad Buxer for years and years and years played keyboards. He was like the musical director for Michael Jackson. Wow, okay. I have to assume that, Al that it's got not a, a coincidence that that's how Al knows Brad Buxer. But Brad Buxer also is the subject of a very famous, I'm not sure if you're going to know this, like viral video of Michael Jackson on stage 
yelling at his musical director for making a mistake oh. and for running the song too long. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think I've seen this video, yeah. Michael Jackson is on stage and they're doing I Just Can't Stop Loving You and the song is supposed to end and they just keep running the song and Michael Jackson starts riffing over the track about how he's going to fire this guy <laughs> for not stopping the song. <laughs> and that is him talking to Brad Buxer. He literally, it's just, um, he's actually throwing in in the video. It's just like, I just can't stop loving you. Brad, what are you going to do? And he's yelling at Brad. He's like, it's a breakdown. Job's gone. Job's gone. (laughs) (laughs) And he's yelling at Brad for not stopping the song. Uh, Anyway, that's the same guy. Wow. All right. Uh, The same guy who apparently Michael didn't actually fire him. They did work together for a long time after that. But it was like a a heated moment on stage (laughs) where Michael yelled at him. In a, a TV broadcast, I will we can link to it on our things, but that is that is a video worth looking up of Michael Jackson on stage firing, <laughs> Brad, quote unquote, firing Brad Buxer. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. corners of the internet a nameless formless entity has been growing no one dares question where it was created or what it wants but those who have been entranced by its musings chant its blood-curdling name in unison find horror movie night on your favorite podcasting app or at hmnpodcast.com the only other big th- person we have to throw credit to on this song for making the song sound the way it sounds. Um, it says here, intermixed during the interlude are various dinosaur sound effects, courtesy of Sandy Berman, Berman who had previously created similar sounds for theme park attractions, loaned Yankovic the sound effects, which totally makes sense because yeah. all of the screams and all of the noises feel strangely familiar. And it's probably just from hearing them in anything that Sandy Berman may have been hired to make those sounds for. It, it does make a lot of sense. They feel instantly familiar. Yeah. Like you're like, you've heard this stuff before in in some way. Yeah. It's also like, it's a great way to punch up. I think I meant to check this and I don't have it for sure, but I think it has to be true. This is just the longest straight instrumental portion of music that Al has ever released. This is for for a guy who makes comedy songs, right? Where the whole idea is supposed to be hitting comedic, like how many jokes we talked before, like changing the lyrics, how many jokes can we fit into this song? There is like this is a lengthy instrumental I... orchestral bridge that has nothing. Yeah, it's just the screaming and dinosaur sounds that are sort of interspersed through it, it to might... remind you that it's a <laughs> we're listening to a joke song. The only other thing I could think of, it probably it probably is a little bit shorter than this. The intro to Nature Trail to Hell is a pretty lengthy wait, too. That's true. Like That's true. Because you got, like, the spooky sounds. It, like, slowly builds with just the keyboards. Then the whole band comes in. The whole band plays a couple rounds of music before the first line of lyrics is sung. So That's a good call. I'll give you that. That's a possibility. But it's one of those two. In the middle of a song. Yeah, in the middle of a song. an instrumental bridge. Yeah. Yeah. This is is wild how how long this is and... and, uh, Again, you know, it's funny when you look up this track, you find a lot of reviews online of people who are just be like, it's not that funny. 
and it just recaps which is what critics the movie. said at the That's time. That's kind of like and the big thing. It's just that it just the it, movie. it doesn't. There's not yeah. There's no jokes. It's just rehashing the plot of the movie. It's got this long instrumental section. <laughs> people don't like. Um, and, and that's it. Like musically, the bridge of this song is so incredible. Yeah. It is like the most amazing piece of music. This is a, uh, and now we're just talking about MacArthur Park, but the way Al and his band do it is equally impressive. Like this is, this is a crazy, crazy complex piece of music. I, um, while we're talking about people complaining about this song, one of the we we talked about this a couple weeks ago when talking about well, I guess it was a couple months ago now when we were talking about the white stuff, how there's all these people who have different interpretations of what the white stuff could be as if it's not very clearly just a song about Oreos. Yes. Um, apparent. I I read something that talked about the line, "A huge Tyrannosaurus ate our lawyer." Well, I suppose that proves they're really not all bad, and they're like. This lyric's written to be ambiguous on if Al's talking about lawyers not being all that bad or dinosaurs not being all that bad. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's just about the dinosaur because the reverse of that makes no sense. Like, the lawyers aren't all bad because he was willing to be eaten by a dinosaur. <laughs> like, like I, I can't see any frame of thing where that's not just talking about hey dinosaurs aren't all that bad because they ate my lawyer like uh. he, he he did say someone asked him specifically and i think this is probably just part of the joke someone on the ask al forums said is it the t-rex or the lawyer who isn't all bad and al did say i left that ambiguous on purpose so you can make up your own mind oh, but al. i mean on. come on i i also <laughs> think that that's i think al's having a little bit of fun there because yeah i don't know why uh how how yeah being killed would make a lawyer not all bad yeah, i don't know I, it's it's it seems like a reach to me i feel like both the music video and the song i could say is more impressive than funny for me like there's moments that make me laugh i've said mm. i think i said this on another podcast already but i will never not find it funny when the hand comes into shot to light the fire. It's so on, so great. It, the actual human arm coming into the frame <laughs> to light the torches. Um, and gives you that moment of perspective on just how small everything the, is. the set is. It's, it's great. That's yeah, really, yeah. really funny. But I mean, this was nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Short Form Music Video. It lost to Love is Strong by the Rolling Stones, which I don't have any recollection of what that video is, but I cannot believe it's in as impressive as the work that probably went in to Jurassic Park. But I know, yeah. The the video itself got a lot of attention from animation festivals for for I mean, this is four minutes of nonstop claymation. And then factor in that you're doing a lip sync to it is very impressive. Cause even with yeah. even with like three little pigs by uh by the the green jelly, like the green jelly song that they did, the only lip sync in that whole video is the not by the hair of my chinny chin chin and they reuse it every single time like yeah yeah like yeah. once they got the sync correctly they just kept reusing that shot so, yeah exactly so like it's just so much work yeah, so much they work. have al singing a good like i would say at least a third of this song is al lip syncing to the words and pretty spot it's, on it's cool to think about for these guys right like so they had worked with <laughs> green jelly that's that. That's the number one thing on the resume up until this point for these guys. Getting hired by Al to do a music video for the song about Jurassic Park, the biggest movie, like in a decade at this point, arguably. You know, like they were like, as we said, they were sleeping in shifts. Like my God, they must have been like, we need this to be amazing. So I'm. I uh, I'm going to apologize if I get any of this information wrong because I should have re-listened to the episode and I didn't. But Bill Manspeaker was on the Krista Makes a Podcast mm. podcast and he talked about this music video. And if I'm remembering his story correctly, so for those of you who don't know Green Jelly, the story of Green Jelly was that they pitched themselves as a strictly music video band. They were like, we're going to put out a whole album of just music videos on VHS. 
And like the CD that you buy, that's why the CD is called the Serial Killer Soundtrack is because it's the accompanying soundtrack to that VHS tape of all those music videos. Um, but they made their like they made their videos super cheap and dirty and quick. Like, you know, it was just setting up a camera, shooting, uh, making some foam costumes, having them flop around in the foam costumes. And when they delivered the video to the record label, they're like, none of these look good. We can't air any of this. And where's Three Little Pigs? Because that's the song that we're most interested in. And he's like, at that point, we'd spent all of the money they'd given us. And mm. we needed an impressive video. And it was literally like his next door neighbor was the director. It was this little kid. Wow. He said he was like a 13 or 14 year old kid who had been practicing claymation for years. And he had seen some of his work and was like, he's like, he was the only person I could think of who would make a five minute claymation music video for the little amount of money that we had at that time. And it was just oh like God. whatever they had left over. Like, let's say it was like five, 600 bucks. He's like to any adult that's chump change, but to like a 14 year old, that's like the be- the biggest paycheck in the world to them. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure that that's, I, you know, double check his episode one day listeners, but I'm pretty sure that that's the story he told. I don't know why else that would be in my brain that it was just a a high schooler made that video and all of a sudden 2 3 years later he's making a video for Weird Al Yankovic with his friend. It's amazing. That's that's wow. Oh my god. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> well, everyone go listen to that episode of uh, Krista makes a podcast for sure about about Green Jelly. And then listen that's... to the Teenage Dirtbag one for reasons. <laughs> uh, I want to point out one other thing because I just think this is interesting. This maybe there's no connection here. Maybe there is, but um, in the world of stop motion claymation, all this kind of stuff, I'm assuming Matt, you know who Phil Tippett is. Yep. So f- for listeners who don't know, Phil Tippett is a stop motion claymation animator who, in many circles, would be considered maybe the best to ever do it. Uh, legendary guy. He has done work on just countless projects and he got hired to work on Jurassic park, the film Jurassic park and came in to do his like claymation type stuff. But then in the process, again, I might be butchering this story slightly in the process of making the movie Spielberg decided he wanted to use some computer animation on the dinosaurs to which Phil Tippett famously said, I've just gone extinct Yeah, (laughs) because he is a, you know, computer animation was the, the antithesis of what he did. Now, Phil Tippett managed to integrate some computer animation into the claymation he did. He did still work on Jurassic Park. And as we established earlier on in this episode, did incredible work. I mean, Jurassic Park still looks absolutely amazing in the world of early computer animation, stop motion, combining real with practical with computers. Like, it's just next level stuff. Um, But I like the idea that Phil Tippett, this stop motion legend... Uh, worked on this movie without using traditional stop motion. And now in the video for this song, Al went to the most traditional claymation animation ever. Like I, I don't, a lot of Phil Tippett's early work would resemble the stuff we see in Al's video. Um, I, I don't know if that's a total coincidence or not, but I, I thought it was really, really interesting to see. Phil Tippett uh, made a feature length film last year it came out called mad god i was just that, gonna say i haven't watched mad god but i hear it is a masterpiece of stop motion Mad god is the most impressive stop motion claymation thing you will ever see in your entire life it is deeply disturbing all a very weirdly artistic almost no dialogue monologue at all it is like a silent film of just this like hellish world and these creatures like fighting for their lives in this like Purgatory. It's I, I highly recommend it, especially if you're a fan of animation. Um, it is intense, uh, but it's it's worth watching. Um, but yeah, that, I mean that's that concludes just about everything I know about stop motion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now I think it's time to talk about something else that's near and dear to our hearts: ranking things. Um, sure, but before we do, I want to because there's so much to talk about in this episode. I know we're going kind of long, but I need to just go into some of the. Uh, uh, other like lyric things on this track. Okay. Cause, because there is, this is a great example for me of MacArthur park. The original song is light years weirder than anything Al could have ever done. Yes. 
<laughs> I highly recommend to people that you listen to MacArthur Park if you have not heard it. You might not like it. <laughs> it is a legendarily divisive song. It has been a hit multiple times. So, so there's something to it. But the lyrics to MacArthur Park, the chorus of MacArthur Park is... MacArthur's Park is melting in the dark, all the sweet green icing flowing down. Someone left the cake out in the rain. I don't think that I can take it because it took so long to bake it, and I'll never have that recipe again. Yep. Those lyrics have been analyzed and studied. <laughs> like, the amount, I mean, go on Genius and read people's lyrical hot takes on this song because it, there are, it's, people have, like, it's, it is one of the most obtuse and abstract pop song lyrics of all time. And I love the fact that Al, who of course we know can be incredibly <laughs> like, uh, like surreal with his words. Right. I think some part of him was like, I'm never going to top this. Yeah. <laughs> like there's no way. So I love the fact that his parody is so straight. Like the fact that his song doesn't have jokes and is just actually hitting these like sort of narrative. Mar I shouldn't say it doesn't have jokes. Of course it has jokes. But um, I like the fact that his is so much more straight-laced. I actually feel like there's extra comedy in the fact that his is not goofy in the same way. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's it, it's just... His his version is the absolute antithesis of the original. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, where, where this yeah. is... The MacArthur Park feels more like a Weird Al original. Weird, actually, MacArthur Park... Feels like the Weird Al parody of Richard Harris's Jurassic Park. You, you you certainly can listen to the original of this song and understand and appreciate why Al likes it so much because <laughs> it is a just bizarre bizarre piece of music. I I think it is brilliant. I I really do think that like this was a very inspired choice for Al. I mean, as we're entering rankings, it's not my favorite Al parody of all time, but this is a a bold move to do this song, the time he did it, the way he did it. It's, I get it. I think it was, again, attempting to grab onto this other pop culture success at the time and and latch onto a moment that would help him sell records. I'm sure it did help him sell records. I'm sure the cover of Alapalooza with the Jurassic Park imagery helped him sell records, for sure. Because this was such a huge, huge moment in time. Um, but I, I still think this is a very brave uh, parody choice like maybe at this point in time for a single I don't know is this this might be the most the biggest swing of a lead single he has done so far in his career all right I can see that I can absolutely see that um, but is it the most successful of those nah so here we go baby time to <laughs> rank them up I'm looking at my list see i'm bringing it up i'm bringing it up. i'm waiting for a point where it feels like that's just not i think i'm gonna put it in between higher than i expect it but still fairly low between addicted to spuds and taco grande in like the low teens high 20s spot of my parodies list that is fair i'm gonna put it i'm gonna put it a little bit higher than that and i'm going to put it just below Money for Nothing and just above the theme from Rocky 13. Okay. Um, I, I really do, again, like, I, 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 so much of this comes down to taste. You know, we've said before about how some of Al's parodies, I feel like you really need to know and love the original, and some just work on their own, and they are just, like, standalone totally fine. I think you do have to have an appreciation for how strange and how, like, wonderfully bizarre the original version of MacArthur Park actually is. I think the video elevates, we also have to rank the video on this yep. song. Um, I think the video elevates it a lot, makes it a lot, a lot better uh, in, in many ways. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about this coming back to it, but I'm, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. That's fair. And you brought up a point about the video elevating it. I'm putting the video way higher. The video is going to actually be mm. in my top five videos. Um, just underneath UHF, just above Christmas at Ground Zero. Um, I mean, it is a it is an impressive thing that was created. Um, 
it's not the one I'm most likely to rewatch. I still would rather watch Dare to Be Stupid or Fed or even Smells Like Nirvana and UHF. But like just the amount of work and how impressive it looks visually, uh, I had to put it high. And uh, I think number five is a good spot for it right now. I have to, I, I agree. I'm once again, I'm going to go higher on this one. I'm actually going to put this really high. And I'm going to put it at number three. All right. Just below fat and just above smells like Nirvana. Um, I'm, I'm even seeing, we didn't even talk about like the notes of this, like the, uh, um, like Al singing the lyric and pulling up his shirt to reveal that he's got like a huge bite taken out yeah. of the side of him. <laughs> um, the biting the head off Barney the dinosaur, which of course was like a legendarily everyone loved dunking on Barney back in this time Check period. out my was friend like, uh, Tommy Avalone's amazing documentary, Love I Love You, You Hate Me. Uh, it's a two-part yes. documentary on Peacock, I believe, about uh, the way that the world turned on Barney uh, mm. during Barney Mania. <laughs> I, I Yes, I, I have not actually seen that, but I've been meaning to. I heard that's really, really good. Um, I love the, like, in the bridge section, the psychedelic, like all the like sixties colors with the dinosaurs dancing in the background. It's all so silly and fun. I love the dinosaur attacking Spielberg and him holding the cut sign, like a Looney Tunes cartoon. (laughs) Um, and all the carnage. I mean, it is an impressively gross and gory video. I mean, it's all clay obviously, but it's, it's really like you, you see some real Barney's decapitated head rolls across the, screen multiple times it's definitely uh, it definitely continues that theme of weird al yankovic loving to have a good amount of gore in his uh always in his stuff i also i have to find i can't forgetting the guy's name but the person uh you had mentioned this before but one of the other um uh mark osborne who is one of the uh the one of the directors of this um, this was his first like proper music video credit that he ever had, but he went on to work on SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah, he did a lot of really and impressive stuff. I think we talked about that on the, uh, the Jurassic Park casts that we did, but not on this. Like he he went on to have quite a career for himself and did very well. Directed the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, a lot of the series. He's worked on Kung Fu Panda. Like this was the start of a of a great career. So. Kudos to that as well. Very, very cool. Yeah. There is a version of this song that Al sings the entire track in Japanese. Oh, that's the one thing Have I forgot to do. I meant to re-listen. To, <laughs> I meant to listen to that before we recorded. For the <laughs> Japanese version of Alapalooza, there is a version of this song entirely in Japanese. It's called Jirashiku Park. And Wild, I think it's the first time I've heard of him actually doing this, uh, on a proper release at least. And he did it live. One time ever. Al performed the Japanese version of Jurassic Park in Indianapolis, of course. Why Why do it anywhere else? He did it in Indianapolis on the Strings Attached Tour with the full orchestra behind him. It is up online. It is amazing to see. He is like he does such a good job. It is mind-blowing. That's insane. All right. Well, I will make sure to find that and add it to the episode. Both of us, we've been talking about being eight, seeing Jurassic Park, which means that we're getting closer to 40. But I don't know about you, but I still feel pretty young, dumb, and ugly. So oh. I think next week <laughs> we'll dive into what that entails. Yes. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 